Welcome back to the Sound of Loneliness podcast. We hope you are inspired by the voices of grit and grace we share in these episodes. I'm Amanda, and today's episode is called A Path to Therapy. A reminder to like, follow, and subscribe to the Sound of Loneliness podcast wherever you listen and to our YouTube channel. Today I am joined by Alessia, who is my assistant at Valley Connections Counseling in Hamilton. And Alessia, you are actually just beginning this journey to becoming a therapist. Yes, that's right. I'm currently in my master's program, so to become a registered psychotherapist as well. I'm in my second semester, and I feel so lucky to have found you recently. And I feel like I'm just learning so much just from being your assistant. And it's so exciting. I feel like I'm finally where I belong. So I feel so happy to have found you and Valley. And this is a second career for you. Um, yeah, I feel, I feel like I never really had a career. So to say, I feel like I was always in those for now jobs. I always knew in my heart that I was supposed to be a therapist. I just never really took the chance on myself. I think I was holding myself back. And then I finally just got to the point where I said, it's now or never. We have to just go for it. And that's what I did. And now I'm all in and I'm so happy. Nice. (laughs) Yes. Well, I feel very lucky that you found us too. I think it's really interesting how people journey and find themselves Mm -hmm. in this profession. Um, And you know, one of the recent episodes, Kiara and I talked about how to find a therapist yep, and a little bit about why people go to therapy, what they might talk about, especially in the early sessions, which of course made me think about my path and my first session as a client seeing a therapist was actually a secret. Wow. So I think, I mean, most people don't know that because it was a secret. Mm-hmm. So my family is not a family that tends to go to therapy. Yep. Um, Perhaps slightly more inclined to now, but definitely not back then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my father's culture is Middle Eastern, and you don't talk to strangers about your personal life. That's not really like a go-to. Yes. But my mom was worried about me. Mm. So, So she secretly and she never did anything secret from my father (laughs) took me to a therapist eventually when she got worried enough about Mm me so that was way back Mm -hmm. when I was like like 18 or 19 and I actually like remember probably all the names of the therapists I've ever seen yeah and some of them are really short because of things like that first therapist I saw was pregnant Mm -hmm. so then she went on mat leave really quickly I actually liked her quite a bit and had a very short period of time with her and then the person that followed after her I didn't really click with Mm -hmm. didn't like her so much so I don't recall seeing her for very long so yeah I've had quite the journey and Kiara and I talk a little bit about how you know sometimes you don't jive with the first person that you meet and and not every therapist that you meet does things that you like (laughs) I think um, I learned some of what I would like to not do as a therapist 
from things that I experienced as a client that I didn't like, that didn't work for me or that didn't feel useful or Mm -hmm. perhaps didn't even feel therapeutic at times. Yeah. Um, Or times where I felt, you know, uncomfortable or unseen. And so I would sometimes work to try and understand what was it about that interaction that made me feel unseen so that I could try to remedy that in my actions as a therapist Mm -hmm. later. So yeah, so I've seen a few therapists along the way. The longest time that I've ever seen one therapist was like eight years. Mm -hmm. And I probably would still be seeing him if he didn't retire. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst when you finally find someone that you drive with or click with and then they have to retire and say bye. (laughs) Like the audacity of him to actually like finish his career and take like, (laughs) and it was also like during the pandemic too. So not the best timing but Mm. he was yeah he was wonderful Mm -hmm. and he saw me through some tricky situations Mm -hmm. and um and was very very skilled so yeah I stuck with him for a long time but a male therapist Mm -hmm. and I mean I would say for a lot of my life I would have never said that I would see a male therapist yeah so even that you know like sometimes I need to step out of my comfort zone and go for something that maybe I wouldn't have typically chosen. And then I have a completely different experience. That was a very long, deep learning experience I had in therapy and lots of processing and work there. I guess over the years, now that I'm a therapist, lots of people have asked me, how have I gone from client to therapist yes which I still am a client at times when I want to go to a therapist I I do Mm -hmm. but people often ask me like how did you decide to become a therapist when did you decide to become a therapist yes um I imagine that you wondered that too yeah definitely yeah and yeah it's not a profession that people in my family or extended family do Mm -hmm. we're a family of like engineers Mm -hmm. and teachers and nurses yeah and lawyers and dentists and lots of science but mm-hmm. not science of behavior yes. and the mind and so speaking of minds <laughs> <laughs> there was a movie a long time ago with michelle mm-hmm. pfeiffer in it called dangerous minds yep some of our listeners might know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. so that was a movie about a teacher working in an inner city school And she was working with kids who were living in homes with poverty and neglect and some abuse. And a lot of them were in gangs and pretty tricky situations. Mm -hmm. And I was watching this as a teenager thinking, I want to be a teacher. Yeah. So that's what I thought I wanted to be. I want to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I went to university to be a teacher Mm -hmm. and then my university went on strike Mm -hmm. in my first year Mm -hmm. like my second month of my first like my frosh year yeah and so I went on strike too okay okay (laughs) (laughs) um and I didn't go back yeah when the strike was over I was in kind of a depression at the time not Mm -hmm. doing very well so I thought I would never go back to school mm-hmm. and didn't really have a whole lot of clear direction at that time. And 
in the process of trying to sort things out and take care of myself, I did see therapists. And then I realized the reason that I liked that movie and the reason that I wanted to become a teacher wasn't because I wanted to teach those students. I wanted to help them, but not with books. Mm -hmm. Right? And I realized, oh, like the thing that I want to do is actually what a therapist does. Yes. So that is how I decided to become a therapist. And I got to say, not everybody was a big fan of the idea initially because, like I said, it wasn't really a thing mm-hmm. in my family. Yep. Um, they caught on eventually. It was okay eventually. <laughs> yeah, so it was really – I mean, I had gone to university for one thing, then dropped out of university, then finally gone back to the university three years later for something – not everybody was thrilled about Mm -hmm. so you know kind of a windy bumpy path yeah for me and I have never thought that I've made a mistake that's really important yeah and I think that's a good thing for the listeners to hear too yeah is that even if you're feeling stuck right now or unsure it doesn't mean you're not going to find your path yeah you'll get there eventually well and I kind of like that my path was a bit of a windy one Because I do sometimes have people who take a pause in their life, take a break from university, or they do a career shift, a massive career shift, or they're in university and they change uh, the direction of their degree. Mm -hmm. Um, And those shifts can feel really overwhelming. You don't always get great reception from people who are close to you. And they're usually well-intentioned, but they're fearful when you make a big change. And I know, too, when people do what I did, drop out of school, the big fear is you're not going to go back. Yes. And I didn't just scare people with it. I said it. I'm not going back to school. (laughs) (laughs) and I was like I came from a family where you like it's just a conclusion that you go to university school Mm -hmm. yeah that was never a question so it was pretty stressful for them to watch me do this journey Mm -hmm. um and to try not to get overly involved Mm -hmm. so I feel like because I've had that experience I can understand both sides I can understand the fear of the people the loved ones and the Mm -hmm. onlookers and I can understand the person who's trying to shift their journey or trying to find it when maybe they're still in that sort of darkness place yep right they've been planted and they're in the dark soil and so you know their seed hasn't emerged yet Mm -hmm. and sprouted Mm -hmm. so it kind of looks like nothing's going on And it's a scary place to be. Yeah. I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. And I know that it can end up in a really good place. And I know that if I had been a teacher, I don't think I would have been a bad teacher. And a lot of what I like about some of the things in my work now have teaching elements. Yes. But that's not what I was meant to do, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I think I was called to do what I'm doing. Yes. And I think the best therapist that I've known that I've come across were called to do this work. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty difficult line of work to do if you weren't called to do it. I agree. I really agree. And that's something I feel myself as well, is I've always had this feeling that I want to help people. That's really where it all stems from. 
So I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I decided to go to school, go back to school, I should say, Mm -hmm. do my undergrad in psychology and then do my master's in counseling psych. So I went to York for my undergrad and then the University of Toronto after that. And I loved doing my master's degree. It was such a good program and Mm -hmm. I would do it over and over and over again if I Mm -hmm. could just keep going to school. I found it so fascinating. Yeah. So I just loved it. Yeah. That's so funny you said that you went to York because when you said that your school went on strike immediately, that's (laughs) where I thought of. (laughs) Yeah. It's unfortunate that like since it went on strike way back then. Yep. I've heard of several strikes Mm -hmm. Um, and actually like I worked at McMaster for a bunch of years and I think it was the first year that I started working there. It went on strike two and I was like, oh no, not again. (laughs) Why are strikes following me? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I have like a fear of strikes Mm -hmm. and how they might affect my personal life. But (laughs) yeah, that was just a bad coincidence. Yes. Yeah. So I actually have a couple of questions for you. Okay. One of my questions is, why did you decide to become a registered psychotherapist over a different type of mental health practitioner, like a psychologist or a social worker? Good question. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I went into my program at uh, U of T, there was actually no such thing as a registered psychotherapist Mm. because they hadn't regulated psychotherapy Mm -hmm. in Ontario yet. But there was rumblings of it. Mm. It was supposed to happen like three or four years earlier than it actually did. So it happened in 2015. It was supposed to happen in like 2011, 2012. But these things can take time. Mm -hmm. So I, what I did was I I got into a couple of programs. One of them was social work. Mm -hmm. And I got into that in a couple of schools. So social work, like we talked about in the other podcast, can have different sort of streams, right? So one of them was like a social justice stream. Mm -hmm. And the other one was like a child and family therapy clinical focus. Okay. And I looked at those programs and I looked at the coursework involved and the practicums and they didn't resonate with me. Mm -hmm. I didn't read the syllabus about a course and get excited yeah and then I looked at the program at U of T and I read all of even the names of the courses and I was excited Mm. and I went to the like intro night or whatever and met some of the students there and the teachers there and I was like yeah this is this is the stuff that interests me. Yes. This is going to teach me the stuff that I want to learn mm-hmm. to do this job. Mm-hmm. Social work can sometimes be a very different field. You yes. can You can take very different lines of work with social work. And that wasn't what I felt like I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Psychologists, I could have continued on after I did my master's and, and I could have done a PhD after. And when I was done my master's, I actually had a prof who asked me to stay on and do my PhD. Mm-hmm. I needed to work after. Yeah. Um, I didn't at the time have the ability mm-hmm. to stay in school and not be generating income. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the reason I didn't continue. But also when I looked at what I wanted to do, which was hour after hour of seeing clients Mm -hmm. I could already do that I didn't need to continue on and I didn't have a desire to learn how to diagnose and um, 
you know, do that side of things that mm-hmm. I would be able to if I did become a clinical psychologist. So I thought, well, I won't pursue that now. If I want to pursue that later, I can. Mm-hmm. And I chose not to. I did have a period of time where I considered strongly going to medical school oh. and becoming a psychiatrist. Okay. And again, the thing that held me back was there were certain priorities that I had in my life of what's really important to me. And as much as I feel called to be a therapist, mm-hmm. the most important thing to me has always been that I wanted to be a mother. Oh, of So course. when I was really little yeah. and people would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would always say a mommy. Oh, so it's <laughs> such a nice response. <laughs> so I knew that I still had to make sure that all of the paths had to work around that, that mm-hmm. that was still the most important, that if I couldn't do something else, but I could still be a mother, yes, then I would still be okay and happy. Yes. Right? So I could work anything around, around that. It. If I tried to go to medical school mm-hmm. at that stage, and I think by the time I was looking at that, I was like 28, mm-hmm. I was like, well, when would I have my children? Yep. Right? Because unfortunately, we have these biological clocks. Of course. And they can be pretty tricky. And I didn't have someone to have children with at yes. that point. So it's not like, because you can have children in medical school. It's not like you can't do that. But yep. I didn't have that option. Mm-hmm. So so that's why I didn't pursue that further. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't regret it. And I'm glad that they regulated psychotherapy. Yes. But, so I'm perfectly happy to call myself a registered psychotherapist or just a therapist. Yes. Um, and I'm a Canadian certified counselor. I'm happy to call myself that as well. Yeah. That really works for me. That's part of who I am. That's lovely. And that's really great that you were able to do that. I'm so mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Another thing that I'm really curious about is what is your favorite thing about being a therapist? Hmm. That's a good question. I think I have a lot of favorite things I think probably I remember when I first started like my first long-term job was working with students at a university Mm -hmm. and I remember being like so thrilled at the end of my days I remember running into my director's office and going I cannot believe that this is my job that we get paid to do this Mm -hmm. And I, I think she was really burnt out because I don't, I don't think she was jumping up and down with me, <laughs> which is okay. You can get, you can get burnt out, but yeah. I, but I continue to feel that way. Mm-hmm. I still feel that way. And I think it was this deep connection that I got to have all day long with people and not superficial, like this really real, genuine connection with people. Mm-hmm hour after hour after hour and these people were telling me their stories and their secrets Mm -hmm. and they were vulnerable with me and they trusted me yeah and I mean I've always been someone who's craved connection and I love people Mm -hmm. and this is like a whole other level of connection yes this is a huge privilege yes and a beautiful way to interact with another human Mm -hmm. and I think also I've always been someone who's very empathetic and so I can feel a lot of how someone else is feeling when they're in the same room as me yes but before I became a therapist I could feel that someone was really sad or that they were in pain and I couldn't really do anything about it Mm -hmm. so I just felt the pain and carried that with me and that was just really painful Mm -hmm. so I carried a, a lot of weight with me Yes. 
But as a therapist, I learned ways to help people with their pain, but mm -hmm. I also learned like ways of having boundaries so that I'm not putting it on myself as well and not mm -hmm. carrying it for them. So instead of being in the vicinity of pain and feeling like hopeless and useless, mm -hmm. I can sit in the vicinity of pain all day long and feel like, okay, but this is what I do to help people, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't pull me down. Yes. Right? It feels like, okay, this is my, this is my life's work. Yes. So yeah, that's what I love. Well, on the flip side, I guess, what do you think is the hardest part about being a therapist and owning your own practice? Well, I think what a lot of people think is going to be the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. And I think what I thought was going to be the hardest thing too is listening to stories that are really sad mm -hmm. or like traumatic and you think like that's gonna be really draining and you know burn you out give you like secondary trauma and compassion fatigue and and those are all real things yes but that has not been the hardest thing for me okay um, there's a lot of ways that you can learn to take care of yourself and protect yourself from mm -hmm. those things so I don't think that that's actually what's been the hardest I think I think for me, one of the hardest things is that being a therapist is incredibly lonely. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you are a professional secret keeper. Yep. Right? Mm hmm So you can't go home and be like, hey, babe, guess what I heard about today? <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. you, you can't do that. And mm -hmm. some of the things that you hear are like hefty things yeah right mm -hmm. and we can learn ways to kind of leave the stories at work mm -hmm. but there's still there's still ones that will kind of carry with us and you know it's not like we're above being haunted mm -hmm. right by some lives and stories that we've joined with especially for long periods of time and yeah. sat in really heavy pain with yeah and I think what's lonely about it is a lot of people don't understand what we do and how we feel yes and i think also we we lose the ability i always tell people this i have no capacity for small talk yeah you know like the i mean obviously i i have like kind of a crazy sense of humor and i can like make silly banter and whatever mm -hmm. if i have to yes but to actually interact with people on that level like that sort of superficial level i lost that capacity when i became yeah. a therapist because I started to see the realness in yes. everything and I hear the real stories all the time. I'll stand in a line in a grocery store and I'll mm -hmm. look in front of me and behind me at the people and I'll think like, what are you carrying today? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. You know, cause we just don't know. Yep. Right. But I hear those stories. Yes. And I watch my clients leave my office and I go like, you're going back into the world and nobody knows what you're carrying. I do. Yeah they don't know and you got to carry that by yourself now again yeah until you come back in here because I'm the one that knows yes right mm -hmm. so because we lose that capacity for small talk mm -hmm. we start to interact with people differently when we get into this line of work definitely and I remember when I took a counseling course in my fourth year of university my teacher said if you get into this profession all of your relationships will change Hmm. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is what happened. Yeah. And that meant that I outgrew some relationships or some of them just sort of fell away mm -hmm. and some of them just didn't fit anymore. I also 
lost the energy for some of them. Mm-hmm. And I also had like an extremely like deeper kind of connection to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything changed. Yeah. And that can feel jarring and lonely. Yeah. And difficult. Definitely. Right. Does that make it hard for you to find balance in your life with everything else that you have going on as well? I think it can. I think one of the most important things for a therapist to have, I think for anybody in a sort of caring profession to have, Mm -hmm. is a really supportive home life. Mm. I think they need to go home at the end of the day, or if you work from home, you need to open the door from your office at the end of the day Mm -hmm. to someone or someone's Mm -hmm. who love you and do their best to love you unconditionally. I know dogs are the only ones that can do it, (laughs) but we can try as humans. Mm And if you feel like you are supported and loved and seen, you can keep going. Yeah. But if you open the door to your home and your home is not your haven and it's not your sacred place and you are bombarded by an unsafe home life, a chaotic home life, and I don't mean just the chaos that little children bring. I yeah. mean I mean the kind that makes your soul full of unrest you will probably not last very long in this job. You yeah. need a really good support network. Mm-hmm. And you need to decide to prioritize your wellness, mm-hmm. right? And your family above yep. your work, above yes. your clients. Mm-hmm. And your partner, if you have one, mm-hmm. needs to support that. Definitely. And I feel like you are someone who's really good with, uh, at that, at setting boundaries, and prioritizing certain things do you find that you got better at that over time or is it something that came naturally to you yeah it's funny because when you said <laughs> I feel like you're someone who does that well I was like oh that's new <laughs> no I was not good at that okay so that is something that I have worked really hard at and I've mm-hmm. had to have a lot of teachers mm-hmm. actually and I mean I'm constantly trying to teach myself this because I just watched a Brené Brown little clip mm-hmm. where she's talking about how like you can be asked to do things you don't want to do yes and you know her default is to be like yeah sure whatever you want but mm-hmm. now she says I spin my ring three times she's got one of those fidget rings yes spins it three times and then she goes no <laughs> And of course, I'm laughing like crazy while I'm watching this because I'm highly identifying with it. And her her catchphrase there is choose discomfort over resentment, because what happens Mm -hmm. when we have no boundaries Mm -hmm. or or flaky kind of boundaries, we resent other people. Yeah. Right. Because we don't have a clear line. So, of course, they're always invading our space. Yes. Right. And we are not prioritizing ourselves. So I would say for most of my life, Mm -hmm. I didn't have boundaries Mm -hmm. and I would say a lot of the people that I work with so the therapists that I train or the clients that I work with that's primarily one of the biggest things that I help them to develop Mm -hmm. and become aware of is boundaries yes how do we fortify this what does this look like how do we have boundaries and still be kind and respectful and like ourselves in the morning Mm -hmm. right because people kind of look at it like oh but that's mean it's not though Mm -hmm. it's actually you can be really loving and in order to have a relationship with someone you have to have boundaries with them too yes right Mm -hmm. and it kind of teaches that sense of self-respect that a lot of clients might even be missing yeah because I know in my program that's one of the things that we learned at the beginning was 
a lot of the clients, we need to bring respect into the relationship. And this is, might even be the first relationship that they're learning that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So one other thing I was curious about is, do you ever have moments where you don't know what to say? <laughs> when your clients are talking about something and it's just ugh, like, what do I say in this moment? Such a good question. Because yeah. um, <laughs> I think new therapists, that's got to be front and center in our mind is mm -hmm. what do I say or what if I don't know what to say and that can like terrify you and paralyze you if you're not yes. careful mm -hmm. right my primary focus with my clients is being with them mm -hmm. it's not really what I say it's the it's the being it's the, the relationship. presence mm -hmm. it's the relationship but it's my full undivided attention think about your life mm -hmm. think about the important people in your life and think about how many of those important people actually give you 50 minutes to an hour at a time of undivided attention yes <laughs> where they don't interrupt yeah. and tell you a story in mm -hmm. relation to the story you were just telling mm -hmm. right where they don't go oh my god i have such a headache hang on i gotta go and take some advil mm -hmm. right where they don't answer their phone at the same time because mm -hmm. you know like oh i was waiting for this person to call none of those are like bad things they're mm -hmm. just normal life things yeah because we don't in our normal life give people our undivided attention no right and yet i always look at attention as a deep act of love Mm -hmm. right and so when we give someone our undivided attention we are giving them that feeling of being deeply seen and known and loved yes right so for our listeners benefit i have to tell you that i just had alessia pause the recording because <laughs> i couldn't remember what you had asked me yes. and your question was do you ever not know what to say <laughs> perfect timing right with perfect time we usually record these things in one long stretch uh -huh. and the only time that i said signal to you pause, wait, wait, pause wait. was in response to that question yeah perfect and now we'll go back to the recording <laughs> so yes i mean sometimes i don't necessarily know the words to say but i think that that happens less and less over time because i'm not mm -hmm. really thinking about i have to say something yes i also get more comfortable with silence mm -hmm. over time right so therapists can get really comfortable with silence where we can sit together yeah not say anything mm -hmm. my friends will tell you that that i can just like be with them and i'm not uncomfortable which i think makes them pretty comfortable with silence mm -hmm. and I think it works the same with my clients if I'm not uncomfortable with it then they're fine with it yeah right if nobody thinks somebody should be saying something or filling the gaps mm -hmm. right then it's okay mm -hmm. not to have something to say it's also okay to even say I don't even know what to say to you right now yeah like and that's I'm, so big yes right and I feel like a lot of people are uncomfortable with that yeah just sitting in silence yeah like even sometimes if my husband and I are taking an Uber, he's always got to fill the silence. I'm like, you can just not talk, you know? <laughs> you can just be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think getting comfortable with admitting when we don't know what to say. Yeah. Getting comfortable with silence and realizing that being a therapist is far more about deep undivided attention and presence and mm -hmm. far less to do with saying the right thing yeah because otherwise I would never let a student see a client mm -hmm. because like how would they know what to say it's not about that yeah right on that note what made you decide to take on the role of a supervisor 
yeah so to, to like start seeing students and, yeah and have them as interns or external interns where yes. I'm supervising them exactly. well that would be Kiara's fault <laughs> that's true <laughs> so she was like one of my first interns yeah um and that was because my dad taught me a long time ago to try and say yes to things before you say no I mean mm-hmm. within reason but what he meant was like try and stay open mm-hmm. and explore things before you shut your mind to it. So when she asked me, you know, could you provide a practicum experience for me? Could you supervise me? I was like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Come and meet me. Yes. So you can tell me about what it is that you need from me and so I can meet you. And then we'll see if this is something I can provide for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had no idea what that experience would be like. And it was just really quite lovely. Mm-hmm. it's very very challenging it's yeah. got to be one of the hardest things that I do mm-hmm. and one of the most rewarding I think also I started thinking in terms of like when I see my clients I reach them one at a time yeah which is great mm-hmm. but I also thought if I train therapists then they reach people yeah right and then they might teach someone and those people will teach someone and that might have a much further reaching Mm -hmm. effect because this profession means a lot to me too yes I want there to be really good therapists out there because it's the same as any other profession there's good therapists and there's not so good therapists out there right there's ones to write home about and there's ones to be like "Mm -mm, don't go there Mm -hmm. just like any other profession Mm -hmm. so it's important to me to try and help people be the best therapist they can or every once in a while and it's pretty darn rare but every once in a while people get into this and they really got to do like a u-turn and go like wait this wasn't for me Mm -hmm. and that's okay that's okay it's actually really good if they can recognize that Mm -hmm. and then do something else and I will happily support that as well yeah that's really important yeah and it's nice to know that they have someone who will support them in that as well yeah yeah and uh, do you have any other future plans that you wish to come from all of this? Yeah, I mean, I I think I'm a bit of a dreamer. I think for a long time I shot down that dreaming part of myself. And I think for a good decade I walked around sort of half of me. Because mm-hmm. I am like, a, I'm a creative. I was as yes. a child. <laughs> and... I can't believe that for like almost a decade, I didn't write a word because mm-hmm. I, I like to write. Yeah. And I didn't write a word mm-hmm. for almost a decade. And I would like to write. I would like to, I've written a lot of poetry. I'd like to get that out there. And I've been working on a book for a couple of years and I'd like to get that out there. Mm-hmm. And last year, I learned how to paint. You did. <laughs> and you're great yes. at it. That was like a complete surprise mm-hmm. to me. So I would like to keep doing that I I seem to feel like the happiest when I'm writing or painting Mm -hmm. it's just like it's totally my happy place it's what I'll do with spare time if I ever get any Mm -hmm. I'm perfectly happy with there being like painted my hair (laughs) (laughs) yeah how you know it's been a good day for me what else do I want to do I want to leave the city and live in the country because Mm -hmm. I think I'm a country girl Mm -hmm. I've never lived in the country and I've never felt like I belonged in the city yeah so I want to live by the water and I want to live in the country mm-hmm. and I want to grow all of my own vegetables. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to do all that stuff. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I want to ride horses. Like yeah. Lots of riding horses. Mm-hmm. I've had little stints here and there and I've done the equine therapy stuff mm-hmm. and horses are just 
majestic, beautiful, wonderful creatures. They are. Yes. And I would <laughs> like to have them in my life on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So I'm always dreaming and thinking and planning. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that keeps me happy and excited and alive. And I don't really get frustrated when I can't do things. I just keep trying. Yeah. Like this podcast. This is a dream that's been going for in my head for years. Mm-hmm. And now we're doing it. Yes, we are. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's really important for people to still have dreams. And I think mm-hmm. what I've always been meant to do can morph, right? Mm-hmm. I can understand that at a certain time, I was supposed to be seeing clients primarily. Yeah. And then at another time, I was supposed to be supervising therapists and training them. And then at another time, maybe I'm supposed to be writing books Mm -hmm. and doing podcasts and reaching people on that kind of a wavelength as well or instead. Mm -hmm. Who knows? I think I'm just very open to what is next and what is my next role. Yeah. Well, that's another thing I was going to ask you too is like, do you have a preference and all of these hats that you wear because you have so many roles do you have one that you prefer over the other yeah so like I'm a therapist and a supervisor Mm -hmm. and a business owner I used to have to do all the admin work and then you came along (laughs) and I'm a mother Mm -hmm. I would like to be able to do a little bit more of the mothering piece yeah and work a little bit less if I could Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge business person Mm -hmm. Um, I've learned Mm -hmm. Mostly by falling on my face. (laughs) Um, But that's not my favorite thing. Yeah. Um, So I don't love the business stuff. So I probably prefer the clinical work. Mm -hmm. And I prefer at this stage in my life, I prefer this. I want to do the podcasting and the writing and the mothering. That's what I want to do. And the painting. Yes. The creative. Yeah. The creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That part of me that was quieted and shut down and maybe I'll talk about that in another episode yeah for 10 years like a big chunk of like a quarter of my life Mm -hmm. that I would like to now like just go back to being all of me yes yeah in your work are there any types of clients that you love to see particularly or is there anything maybe that you stay away from for a particular reason Well, I'm a big believer in like practicing within your scope. Yes. So I don't work with little children because I'm not trained to work with little children. Mm -hmm. So I tend to stay away from things that I'm not heavily trained in. Mm -hmm. And my client base now is a lot smaller. I don't take on new clients anymore. Um, So the people that I see, I've been seeing for a long time. Mm -hmm. I really like working with relationship issues and attachment issues. Mm -hmm. I think that that's... I understand a lot about that and it makes a lot of sense to me. I like doing inner child work and parts work and things like that. Yes. That kind of makes me Mm -hmm. tick and light up. I like working with couples a lot. I always say it's like watching a miracle happen. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really beautiful and I'm really thankful for all of those experiences. Mm -hmm. I like working with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. I've often liked working with the things that have been sort of cast off from other therapists as being too difficult Mm -hmm. (laughs) or being statistically labeled as the hardest to treat Mm -hmm. because there's often attachment wounds there. And I think that's how I see it. Mm -hmm. And so because I see it that way, like borderline personality disorder, I see it as an attachment wound. Yeah that manifests this way and so because I see it that way and that's what I respond to I actually really like working with it 
Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, things like that, those are the stuff that make me tick and make me light up in the office. Yeah, I was, it's funny you mentioned the modalities because I was going to say, is there a particular one that you like to use with most of your clients? Yeah, I mean, I'm a relational therapist. Yeah. So that means that I believe that the healing comes through and in the relationship that the that the client has with the therapist that mm-hmm. sometimes their relationship with me is the first healthy one they've ever had mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm the one that models how to nurture themselves and how to be kind to themselves because they've just yeah. never had that yeah and so that's always been sort of my foundation and I was trained a lot in emotion focused therapy when I was in school mm-hmm. so I tend to lean toward the heart and the body and the soul. Yes. And the thinking stuff <laughs> doesn't work a lot on me as a client. So mm-hmm. I always say like if I can't like if I can't buy it myself as a client, yes. I don't sell it as a therapist. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a huge CBTer, although there's a place for it and I'm heavily trained in DBT, but mm-hmm. I you know, I sort of I use it in like a way that's not typical. I don't usually pull out the worksheets. Mm-hmm. But my new love is IFS, so internal mm-hmm. family systems, which yes. I'm not formally trained in. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about it is I've always done this attachment work and this inner child work. And IFS has given a bunch of names to things that like it's just made sense of a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that felt right in the room with my clients mm-hmm. that I was doing. Yeah. So I love it. Like, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I have yet to find someone that I can't use some element of it with, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes you have to, like, use things in a roundabout way because sometimes people's minds shut down and yeah. we get in our own way. So I can't always explain <laughs> to a client, well, now, this is IFS and that means that mm-hmm. you've got a core self and there's these parts and there's an exile. That might be like, okay, hokey (laughs) right so I might not do that explanation but I might talk about it really sounds like there's a part of you that wants to do this and there's another part of you that really doesn't that's Mm -hmm. parts work right there definitely right Mm -hmm. yeah do you ever find that clients wait too long to start therapy oh yeah (laughs) like all the time yeah yeah and I mean I think that's understandable and natural Mm -hmm. because we kind of think like it's not that bad yes we like to go when we're in crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't tend to prioritize ourselves or our needs. We'll take our kids before we'll take yes. ourselves. We'll send our partner before we'll go ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to justify it in mm-hmm. our head, even if we have it for free. Even if we have like an amazing insurance plan, it's, well, I'm spending time. Yeah. Right? Or like, is this really going to work? How could mm-hmm. this possibly help me? I don't know how many times I've heard that. Yeah. Right? Well, what could a therapist possibly do for me? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, but you haven't tried yet. Yes. Right? So exactly. why don't you try it? Then you tell me what the therapist has or has not done. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think most of the time we wait too long. And I think that's still okay. I think yeah. I want to say it's never too late. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do have people who are like 75 and in therapy. Yes. It's never too late. Mm-hmm. So like, just go. one of the best ways to practice (laughs) self-care yes absolutely yeah well thank you for listening to my story about my windy bumpy path to becoming a client and then a therapist Mm -hmm. and I'm very happy that I get to be a witness to your journey right (laughs) starting at this point and 
I think it's going to be really fun to watch mm-hmm. where you go from here. I'm so excited to continue to learn from you and Kata. I feel so lucky. Well, it's mutual. And I think that's the best, right? Mm -hmm. Especially like we say that about our clients too. It's a real symbiotic relationship Mm -hmm. and we get to learn and grow from each other. I feel that way about interns as well. Mm -hmm. Anybody that I work with, it's really nice to be able to learn from them them as well. We never stop learning, right? Mm -hmm. So thank you to our listeners for sharing your time with us, sharing your listening ears with us. And As always, remember, if today you're feeling alone in the valley, you are not alone. We are right there with you. Mm